Hello beautiful people, thank you so much as always for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs about films, whether you're a first time listener or long time listener, all the same, it really is super super appreciated. In this episode I'm going to do another revisit because obviously checked out Knock at the Cabin, Shyamalan's latest release, which I thought was okay, it wasn't amazing, didn't really connect as much as I did with this film and the idea of someone telling you something and you have to kind of decide whether or not they're telling the truth and, and if it's not any other sinister motive. Obviously, Knock at the Cabin had four, four strangers turn up at a cabin, telling them they had to obviously sacrifice one to prevent the end of the world. And then similar in this film we're going to talk about today, the idea that you cannot go outside, you have to stay in this bunker because outside it's just death. We are going to be talking, of course, about 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachenberg, released in 2016, and I absolutely love this film. Like, when it first dropped, I went and seen it on release date and found it just completely encaptivating. It was so intense, so suspenseful, claustrophobic nightmare that I had to talk about it on the podcast. And it kind of fits nicely with what's just come out, obviously, with, with Knock at the Cabin, because I genuinely do think that 10 Cloverfield Lane does a better job massively than what Knock at the Cabin did with that idea of, are they telling the truth or are they just crazy? But here we are then, 10 Cloverfield Lane is what we're going to be talking about with spoilers, of course. Now, I love the Cloverfield universe. Like, I love the first one with so, so much passion. Like, I cannot wait to see what they do with the direct sequel that apparently is still in the works. So I've always been kind of waiting for it. And I guess it's one of those where I'm a bit like, is it ever going to come out? We shall see. But I don't want to talk too much about the first Clover film because I we'll definitely do another revisit on it because there's so much like with the marketing campaign, the viral campaigns for the film ahead of its release. You know, when it first dropped the trailer, there was no title for the film, this and that. So I don't want to kind of go over that. I've kind of just done what I said I wasn't going to do. But you know what I mean? Like, because... I really want to just focus on 10 Cloverfield Lane. This whole universe of Cloverfield films, well, the first two were excellent, like really, really great in my eyes. The third one, the Paradox film, just a bit subpar, but it did at least answer a few questions about the actual Clover universe because that's the beauty of it, that the Cloverfield the name itself could mean anything. We know we, we kind of know what we're going to get with it. It's going to be some kind of sci-fi element. It's going to be something, you know, horrifying, um, but on different scales because obviously whereas the first one was grand and, and massive in scope, 10 Cloverfield Lane really is, just to say that one simple setting, it's so small, so claustrophobic as I've already mentioned, that I think it just works so well as a thriller. But we are going to talk about that in this revisit, so hope you enjoy. If you're a fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane, definitely let me know as well all your favourite moments or just what it is that you dig so much about this film. But the podcast is available on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts, as to RSS.com, all that jazz where you get your podcast fixed from, it will be there. Jump onto the socials and search Joe Blogs About Films into Facebook and Instagram and hit follow and like on there. That too will be really, really appreciated. So as I stated there, 10 Cloverfield Lane coming out in 2016, it was essentially just like a, a blood relative uh, to the first Cloverfield, obviously set in the same universe, but it's not a direct sequel, as I've already mentioned, and that is something that I really do like about this film. And I just think that the nods and stuff that they do within the universe, they all work so well. They're only little nods, like the Slusho logo popping up in the window of the Kelvin store, the Kelvin store as well being something that does appear in this universe. Uh, the actual the actual drink Slusho is, is the drink that's in the first film that's, that contains deep sea nectar that the drilling for this certain nectar caused the awakening of the cloverfield monster itself so that when they were nice touches obviously to get those kind of in there we do see them in, in we do see slusho again in the cloverfield paradox and also howard's the the character played by john goodman oh, i can't wait to talk about him um he works for tagarato the same company that rob from cloverfield worked for in the first film and howard works with satellites which we know 
satellite fell into the sea of the end of the first Cloverfield, this and that. There's so many like kind of little nods here and there that I, and little links, I should say, that I really did, uh, really did like about this film. But amazingly, director Dan Trachtenberg, this was his first feature-length release. And after that, obviously, he's gone on to do the likes of Prey, which I really, again, very much enjoyed. But for, for a first-time view, obviously, for, to see his work and see this, I was like, this guy could go on to do wonders. And, and he has, obviously. He's not gone on maybe to do, air quote, massive films or whatever, but I do really like his filmography. But what Dan Trachtenberg and co. did with this, I thought, was just worked so well. So to kind of flip it from the genre that it starts off with, as I say, that thriller, to then a bit of a sci-fi uh, flick towards the end, or the last 15 minutes or so, for some people, they loved that reveal at the end when Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character got out of the out of the bunker. Some people loathed the ending and weren't happy at all about it. And I, I, I can see from both sides with that. But for me, being a Cloverfield fan, you kind of knew something was something strange was going to be on the outside. You know what I mean? And it's one of those again where this film didn't start off straight up as a Cloverfield film. It was an original script called The Cellar. Obviously, it had nothing to do with Cloverfield. Um, and I think it was also going to be called Valencia as well at one point. It was acquired by J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot who adapted it and made it part of the Cloverfield universe. And that's how things work sometimes. Like I spoke before about Saw as well. I think Saw 2, that wasn't going to be a Saw film. It was literally just straight up going to be a separate horror film altogether. They managed to get the rights to it and work around to make it into Saw 2. So these kind of things do happen, which I guess when when we talk about the film's ending and the original ending that you have, you can maybe see why on some level it is a bit jarring, the switch, and almost maybe feels a little bit forced, the the last, like I said, the, the actual reveal of what's on the outside, this and that. But again, that's all down to the production and, and the journey this film, and script, I should say, went through to get to uh, to where it is. But as I've already stated, I, I, I do really like the ending. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a really, really good one. I think it's just like kind of a nice little payoff after everything that we've seen. It's just essentially like two... Two two films in one really, um, and and all in all, the performances not only from I say Mary Elizabeth Winstead who is great as Michelle, like really strong, great character arc, but John Goodman playing Howard, good heavens, like he has some amazing range in this film. Like I think he is so uneasy to be around, and so yeah, it just adds that I say that extra extra level of intensity for this situation and circumstance. Because as I've mentioned, I said the film just revolves around a young woman who is held in an underground bunker by a man who insists that a hostile event has left the surface of the earth uninhabitable. Is that true? Or is it just, like I said, some other motive that John John Goodman's character has? Because it does all point to that direction that this character isn't telling the truth. There is so many loopholes to his theories Especially, as I say, for Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, Michelle, when she wakes up and she's, like, chained up on the back of a car accident in this bunker, of course, you're a little bit petrified, aren't you? You're going to be, what on earth is, what on earth is going on? Why is this happening? Why, is this, why am I here? And, and as we're going to discuss over this, there's so many moments where it could be that, is he telling the truth, or is this just all an elaborate scheme to keep a hostage? Now, I'm a big fan of film scores and music, obviously, as many out there will be as well, but I do find that the score in this is really great. It's like the, the use of strings in this film has got a real great thriller vibe to it, and along with those piano keys that kind of go in and out as well, just adds that little bit extra. It is a sage to claustrophobic nightmare, with the scale being so small and the setting 90% of this film is bunker, it just constantly homes in on that uneasy feeling, and the score accompanies that super, super well. What I also like about this film is the colour palette for the film. It's like a nice light blue. Uh, the whole bunker is this colour, sometimes the lighting as well. 
Um, rather than, I would say, the first Cloverfield was more of a green. Like you, you associate green with Cloverfield, but I do like this kind of... It is like a greeny blue, but it's, it's more like a... How would you describe like a Coke bottle blue, if that makes sense? Uh, people who collect vinyls will know exactly what I mean there. But yeah, like it, it gives that feel that it's a prison cell. Like the whole bunker, the entirety of the, of the bunker is the prison that Michelle is in. And again, it gives off that that entrapment that Michelle is currently in, you know, with with this really beast of a character that, again, as I say, I will talk a little bit more about John. Well, obviously, we'll talk a lot more about John Goodman in this film, but I, I just feel that he's the guard of this prison cell that Michelle can't get out of. I like the use of no sound except for the score at the start to Michelle's introduction, where we see a kind of collecting her things, presenting someone that is leaving a certain situation for reasons that we don't know, only to then stuck helplessly in another one shortly afterwards with John Goodman. Um, the dip of no score is used throughout the film as well. And again, it enhances that suspense once everything begins to go south while they're in there. Like it just constantly homes in and out. We just hear no noise except the natural sounds within the actual bunker itself. Now, the bunker, I do think it's such a great layout. Like I'd love to see kind of a map of the actual bunker and the setup that we've got because John Goodman has prepared everything like Howard has got everything in there he's got so much so much worth of food there's games they've got obviously the music player this and that I just feel like it's a really like it's kind of a cushy set like someone that's really gone into making it feel homely but then it's that that contrast of it's homely but still feels like a prison I do think they say it's a, a really good setup and just adding a little bit more to this this horrifying situation that Michelle finds. It's like you could wake up with, like she wakes up in that, that room that she's in, it's completely bare, it's, it's kind of a, a room that needs, to be, that needs to be finished really and it does feel straight up like she's been held like in a dungy basement but it's not, it's just a, a wing, or not wing, a certain, a certain part of the bunker that just hasn't been fixed yet because everything else looks really, really cosy and really homely, like somewhere that you'd want to stay if something horrible was happening on the outside world. You know what I mean? Like if that if that was where you're going to live for the two next two, three, four, whatever, how many years until it's clear to go outside again, it ain't too bad. But the over the 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 constant sense and feel of dread of being in there because you've got John Goodman's Howard, who's clearly unhinged and clearly a little bit psychotic, well, not a little bit, very psychotic. It just all mixes in and uh, a real cocktail for disaster, which there are moments when things work out and just seem to be on a bit more of a positive. But all in all, this is a situation that Michelle needs to get out of. And I do feel as well that Michelle's story in this film is really excellent. Like the whole arc from start to finish, it really is strong, you know, like she's leaving one relationship and then forced into another one with John Goodman. But it's not it's not the same kind of, you know, relationship that she has with her boyfriend, Ben. But it's something that she has no control over. She didn't ask to be brought in. She didn't ask for anything Like she didn't. As far as she was aware, she was she was going her own way only to be then involved in this car collision that ends up bringing her to this bunker. It is hinted at the start as well about her constantly running away that Ben says from the phone, you can't just run away from your problems, this and that. And that does come back to the end. Like I said about the, the great arc that Michelle's character goes through, she either, she either has a chance to flee or fight the invaders. And it's something that, again, I will touch upon a little bit more on later. But I do do really like that that idea that say this character that starts off quite vulnerable, or very, very vulnerable for, for at least, like I said, the good first three quarters or whatever, and just gradually become stronger. But the best thing about this character is, as well, is is that she's not stupid. Like, she is quite smart. We'll talk about Mary Elizabeth Winstead now, actually, because she is awesome in this film. I think this is my favourite 
role I've seen her in, um, you know, you're actively rooting for her. Like, and this is one of those where if the character is scared, we as the audience are scared for her. If she's fighting back, we're with her all the way. And more importantly, if she's accepted what's happening, as she does when they become a bit more settled in the bunker, again, you're fine with this as the character's fine with that. So like, okay, we'll get on. Maybe there is something that is out there that's better off her being in this situation. But she uses any anything that she can to form an escape to begin with, ranging from sharpening the crutch that she's provided by Howard, you know, making that into a spear, um, also causing a fire in the bunker as well to gain the attention of Howard so she could form at least a, a first attack because there's obviously a few attacks that go in there. So far so that when she gets a small glimpse of what is outside, she even flirts with Emmett to get a reaction from Howard grabbing his keys and then attacking him with the bottle to create a small window of opportunity to escape. She's showing time and time again that she can fight and has the ability to overcome a horrible situation, something that builds her character and shapes her for the ending of this film, from where we see her at the start to where she is at the end. It's a fantastic change and vocal point of the film itself. But obviously opposite her, you have John Goodman, who is absolutely fantastic in this. Like He really has the persona of someone that quite clearly is a little mad or crazy, yet almost childlike qualities as well, in the sense that he can just flip with, temp with his temper whenever things aren't going his way. Plus the fact that because he saved Michelle in his eyes, that she's now in his debt and should show gratitude, or at least a little gratitude is what he keeps saying to her, even though she didn't ask to be saved or brought to the bunker. Goodman's character decided that for her, Howard decided that for obviously there was more to it than that it wasn't just a case of oh i've crashed into your accident i'm going to take you back to my bunker he did all of that on purpose just to have her in the bunker with him which we learn isn't the first time that he's actually kidnapped a girl and brought her down there obviously when we learn about Brittany and what he did to her obviously on the back of what happened with his daughter like all of this is linked to the issues that he has with not having a relationship with his daughter megan anymore um, Howard believes that on the outside, obviously to, to start with, obviously that this could be a chemical outbreak, maybe caused by the Russians or the Martians may have finally found their way here. And so him being prepared with the bunker is what has saved him and the peoples within, including Michelle. Howard is pretty much just a conspiracy nut and has prepared for this for years, expecting the worst. And he states, which is one of my favourite lines in the film, is that crazy is building the ark after the flood has already come. And this is obviously on the back of like a few back and forths already with Michelle, because his patience is in particular very thin with Michelle at the start. Like, he's almost exacerbated that after everything he is telling her, she still questions about getting help, going to the hospital, seeing whether a car is driven above them. He's literally telling her that, all of this is impossible as the outside world is contaminated, yet she still questions him, which really gives them, again, that intense atmosphere as you just feel he could flip at any moment. And though he does try to talk calmly, you can sense there's an eagerness to keep Michelle there with him. Like all the way through, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's almost like survival's one thing, but keeping you here is another. And that's just, that's where that imbalance for you as an audience is like, right, is he actually saying, the truth it is what he's saying legit it is, is the outside world fully contaminated that you can't breathe out there kind of thing and the film's tagline itself is monsters come in many forms and the film has two monsters obviously the human monster being Howard and the other monsters outside but this is that thing again where we're given everything as, as before we've seen the film in terms of the marketing and whatnot whether or not what is out there is either a safe or if it's uninhabitable i do love the constant flip between that all the way through about whether he is not or telling the truth it's only really when we meet emmett that there is some weight in the theories that howard believes because obviously there's another person there kind of saying the same that there was something out there 
that there was a bright light, this and that, and then he obviously Emmett fled and got to the to the bunker trying to get in so the to stay safe with Howard. And I guess that Michelle, although she is constantly back and forth with trying to believe what's real and what's what's not, when she sees the the woman at the the, the door, obviously the bunker with the burnt face banging on to get in, she realizes that something isn't quite right outside. Even though like Howard had showed her the the pigs or whatever that were outside. That was one thing, but I think the fact that she saw his car, obviously the, the scrapes and such, with a with a paintwork matching her car colour as well, meaning that he was the one that crashed into her, probably on purpose, and then brought her here. So again, the cogs just keep turning. Like you're constantly flipping. It's constant doubt all the way through, not just for Michelle, but for us as well in the audience, because we've seen her go through so much already. Car crash, which just on a quick note. I absolutely love how they did that sequence. They said we had quite a lot of silence, then we just get the phone call and start of the car. But the jarring kind of cuts between uh, Michelle in the car being flung and the crash happening to the silence and the opening title cards was so effective. Like I thought that was absolutely super, super well. Um, but the moment, obviously, that Howard does confess to what happened with the car crash on accident is what he puts and what he says to her. That's when Michelle starts to let her guard down and believe that the safest place is actually within this bunker. Again, where we as the audience are like, okay, this bit's calm. We're quite steady now. Like, this is fine. If she's happy with that, we get a few days, obviously, montage of things being good and morale being quite high rather than an intense and edge of on edge from Michelle and you as the audience. I do think that, yeah, you're like, okay, maybe, maybe he is actually... He's obviously, as I say, quite unhinged and a conspiracy nut, but maybe he has, maybe what he's saying has weight. And one of my favourite scenes, obviously, because there's a real, like I say, the, the way that John Goodman is, and as I say, this this beast of a man, this big man that obviously is a lot stronger than Michelle. He could, you know, he can pin her, whatever, if he wants her to stay. There's, it, it could be even, even more sinister. He could kill her, obviously, if he wanted to, obviously, which he has done before and will do again in, in this film. Like, his demeanour is what obviously makes you kind of think that he is just crazy and not someone that is obviously crazy but telling the truth as well. But it's the way as well that he's with Emmett that I think, again, adds that extra layer of, uh, of tension because Emmett is slightly sidelined in the film because it is solely Michelle and Howard's story, though I do like the dynamic that Emmett has between both Michelle and Howard. He seems to annoy Howard more than anything else. Howard is irritable by the, by most things Emmett says, especially when Michelle finds him amusing, obviously, at the dinner table, or if Emmett helps Michelle with, like, balance, like, touching is absolutely off the table. Like, straight up, John Goodman is like, keep your hands to yourself. And these are those things where you're like, this guy's not a good person. You know, he's, he's the villain of the piece. You know, Emmett wasn't part of Howard's plan to be in the bunker. Like, Howard's plan, essentially, was always to be... I'm going to bring someone back with me and it's just going to be me and them. Obviously, it's going to be another girl. So there's a level of intolerance from Howard straight off and we get that all the way through. It should just be Howard and Michelle in that bunker. And obviously, once Emmett then confirms that the picture Michelle was shown by Howard, who said that that's his daughter, to be in fact a missing girl named Brittany, we're again thrown off as we're, we've just had these kind of good high moments and things being okay and, and everyone seems to be getting on really well and, and actually they're safer inside you're now doubting everything once again due to this this reveal. Um, it is absolutely fantastic because obviously they then elaborate a plan to escape. And one of my favourite scenes is where they're playing a board game, Taboo. Uh, it's a real indication of how Howard views Michelle as well, being the answer to this particular clue that Emmett's got is little, little women. Um, 
Emmett gives the clue. They get little. I think Howard gets the the first word little. But when it comes to getting the answer for for woman, obviously you're trying to make it easy for him. He's just but he's just stumbling. Emmett gives the clue that Michelle is a and Howard for the answer. He's just grabbing at anything. But the answers that he gives are things such as uh, she's a girl, a little princess, making it easy to us as the audience and to obviously Emmett and Michelle, which were incredibly uncomfortable at this moment as well that he sees Michelle as just a child that he's protecting, or rather overprotecting. Borderline obsessive about her as well, which the film has already had plenty of examples of this. And when it gets to Howard's turn, his answer is Santa Claus, and I love this switch. Like, we've had the kind of creepy uneasiness of watching John Goodman stumble, watching Howard stumble to get the answer women, and saying those answers for, 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 for Michelle... But when he's got his clue to give, which the answer is Santa Claus, the tone in his delivery and the score getting louder as Howard states, I'm always watching. Always. I go wherever I go. And so on. Making Emmett and the audience just really like kind of cringe and uneased that he's alluding to the fact that he knows what they're doing. He knows that they're trying to escape, but they can't because he is everywhere. It's a super intense scene that really, really stands out for me. And again, just showing that range of John Goodman's performance in this because he is absolutely, absolutely outstanding, like fantastic. So is Mary Elizabeth Winstead as well, but I really did dig that scene. Like I thought it was so, so super intense, but obviously sadly Emmett does pay the price with his life once Howard does find out that the tools and the materials they've been using to make a suit to escape, you know, Emmett takes the fall for that saying he was responsible and Howard shoots him point blank in the head and burns him in the tub of acid. It's again a sign of the real monster that Howard is and that it's perfectly normal for him. Clearly not his first time doing this and probably did this with the missing girl, Brittany. You know, it is so intense. And then for him to go from that and, you know, Michelle to be absolutely mortified as to what she's seen. He's trying to give her ice cream. He's shaved. He's, he's happier now. Like the, the demeanor and stuff, the, the, the way that he is towards Michelle is absolutely much better and calmer now because he thinks, right, I've got Emmett. I've got the problem out of the way. I didn't want him here in the first place. All I wanted was you, Michelle. I've got that now. We can now have a happy life down here, but it's not to be obviously like Michelle now knows even more so than she did before that she has to escape. And what a crazy ride these last 15 minutes or so of the film actually are. Like, they are so good with the escape plan and what is revealed on the outside. But we have a fantastic monster reveal for Howard prior to her escape when the acid is kicked towards him and he falls down, just showing the true evil that's within him. His his disfigurement reflects who he is perfectly. And I just really enjoy seeing Michelle climbing through the air ducts and trying to, obviously, the vents and whatnot, trying to escape... Um, it is absolutely super, like I said, the, the whole film's claustrophobic in itself, but this is on another level. We'd seen a little bit of it earlier, which I did like, so it reminded me so much of Die Hard, I'm going to eat that right up, but it's just so, so super intense of seeing and finally escape, and it flips the film on its head completely, doesn't it? Because you've gone from a claustrophobic thriller to full-on sci-fi, it's revealed that the air isn't contaminated, but Earth is in fact invaded by aliens as we see a craft in the distance a fantastic reveal as well with the wide shot of michelle looking over the craft as it roams just above obviously the crops and such of the field in the distance uh so just a wonderful wonderful uh, reveal and i love how she exclaims come on as she sees the craft make its way towards her but this whole thing about obviously the, the actual aliens and the invaders is that it confirms that howard was right all along especially when we have that scene in the bunker 
where it all begins to shake and you know something's above them, hovering above them or whatever, flying above them. Howard explains that he believes that's going to be phase two of an invasion where they're making ground sweeps for any life left following the initial attack of phase one. It is remarkable to have a character so horrible and so, like I say, really uneasy to be around be so right. Granted, it is all crazy theories. They, they weren't crazy, um, but... He is still very unhinged, you know. What I mean, like it's that he got most of it right. Essentially, he said it was either going to be Russians with the with either whatever toxic gas that they let out, or it was going to be some kind of Martians that had made their way to us. And it's just a fantastic reveal. The spacecraft, as I say, uses this green toxic gas, toxic gas, which caused the woman outside the bunker to have all those burns. But it's a weapon. It's not like it's everywhere outside. It's just they use that as a weapon. Now, this reveal obviously kind of tore a lot of lot of, lot of audiences kind of into two really they were like either as i say really enjoyed it or they didn't like it all but as i said the original script uh the ending itself was going to be that she was going to escape the shelter and the movie ends down an empty road finding no one to help her as she drives across the crest of a hill and sees chicago skyline it was just all destroyed no explanation is given we don't even know what she will do next and the only the only thing that she knows is that Howard Frawley's oddity was correct, which, again, we do have that in this film as well. Um, the final line in the original script says that she slowly pulls down the mask on the hazmat suit before taking a breath. So, again, this is what I was saying about how if you felt that it was a little bit maybe jarring or just forced in about this whole reveal at the end, it's because things obviously have changed within it to make it a Cloverfield film, but I like it because I think it's very, very good. As it all the way all the way through, I'm like, is this right? Is he, is he, is he, is he, is he talking nonsense? It, all in all thinking there probably will be something out there but I don't know what it will be and I think that's what got the Cloverfield fans so hyped about was that it could very well have been the Clover monster you know what I mean we could have seen the monster itself but I like that they did something different with it especially to to make this film work obviously with that reveal at the end it, it couldn't just be oh yeah there's a monster and that's why the that's why you can't go outside I, I do like that for for all of the crazy theories as I mentioned from Howard that most of them were, were dead on you know like he absolutely was was right for the most part the spacecraft itself is a wonderful design i think it looks really great and i guess you could say that it's kind of like plot convenience that she would make a molotov cocktail to throw into the opening to destroy it and cause the you know ship to go down freeing her from the nightmare that she's endured but i saw it's all for just a great last few minutes like the big kind of like blowout you know what i mean like she's been through so much as it is and now she's taken down a craft you know she's taken down not only the craft itself and the monster in front of her there, but the monster obviously below the surface, you know, that that Howard as well has been stopped. I love the final moments where we have a listen to the radio with the two choices, either go to the sanctuary and the safe point or head to the southern seaboard and fight off the invaders. She opts for the latter and heads to the seaboard where we have a beautiful wide shot and the use of light lighting, in particular with thunder and lightning, we see a reveal of two big spacecrafts in the darkness as the film draws to a close. It is a fantastic character arc who we've seen flee at the start of the film and throughout her time in the bunker had tried to escape, putting up a fight where she can for the characters to then be strong enough to take down a ship and Howard himself and then head for the final fight for humanity. She no longer needs to run. Michelle no longer needs to run. It's such a great, well-developed character arc for Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. And I absolutely dig it. Like, I, I, this is one of the things all the way through you are kind of like, is, is this what's going on exactly? Is he, is he right? Is he wrong? Um, but all in all, I think the payoff was so worth it. Not just from, say, the last 15 minutes of what goes on with all the spacecraft and that, but I just feel that the performances in there and what happens in that bunker is what makes this film. And there is, as I said, that argument that the last 15 minutes with the spacecraft and the aliens didn't need to happen. 
but that wouldn't be a Cloverfield film, would it, if it didn't? You know what I mean? So I really do enjoy I did really, I still do love this film. It's great within my collection. Lovely to rewatch it as well. And as I say, this for me does that idea of truth or lies or, you know, insanity, crazy theories much better than what Knock at the Cabin did. And that's, like I said, after seeing Knock at the Cabin, I've been itching to watch 10 Cloverfield Lane again. And there I have it. I've finally done it, given it a good revisit as well. I hope you enjoyed it as well, listeners. Let me know your thoughts on 10 Cloverfield Lane. The performances in there are absolutely stellar. I love, as I say, that claustrophobic feel to it all the way through and whether or not Howard is actually telling the truth. But John Goodman as well, so much praise from him in this because, again, it's one of my favourite performances I've seen him in. I love John Goodman so much, but to see him as this evil character was something so different and I just loved every minute of it in particular any moments that involved him and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Michelle really great stuff I'm gonna leave it there thank you so much as always for clicking on the podcast and for all your support really do appreciate it make sure you stick around and check out more episodes available on the podcast the last of us a weekly drop in as well got reviews coming there got some more stuff coming your way including Ant-Man and a little exclusive as well that will be with you in no time but thank you ever so much as always for clicking supporting take care